Second Corinthians two, verse number ten. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage over of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might be made aware, in a roundabout way, of some of Satan's devices. We might be prepared. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I make no apology for coming back to another consideration of the doctrine of the devil. As I've said several times recently, Satan is real and he is a powerful spirit creature. He has us on his radar. And I am sure that he has been disrupting our efforts at moving forward for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly we are not his primary interest, but he doesn't want us to become more of a threat to his kingdom than we are. Satan wants us to stay cool rather than on fire for the Lord. He doesn't want us to be filled with the Spirit of God. He wants us to be filled with the flesh. He doesn't want us to seek lost souls. He wants us to be satisfied the way we are. And so he wants us to spend our very few years here in this earth living in the flesh. Just going from day to day, church service to church service, that sort of thing. Before we get into my... Very simple and somewhat unusual outline. Consider our text and the background of this text. In his first epistle to the Corinthians, Paul ripped apart that church for not properly dealing with a member who was in horrible sin. Well, apparently after they received that letter and received his rebuke, they did deal with that man and put him out of the congregation. But when he repented, when he sought to be restored, the church was dragging its feet about bringing him back into the fellowship of the, of the congregation. Now, Paul is forced to exhort the congregation toward forgiveness restoration, and a return to fellowship with that man. Verse number 8. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confer your love toward him. In verse 9 he says in effect, Prove your obedience in all things by being obedient in this thing. And in this context he says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Notice the word devices. We are not ignorant of his devices. This word reminds me of what Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil has his devices. He has his wiles. He has tools 
techniques. He has his crafty tricks. We are not ignorant of his devices. While that may be true, we're not ignorant of his devices, we often forget that Satan is even in the picture. We can't see him, we can't touch him, we can't smell him. Uh, we forget that he's concerned about us, that he's interested in us. We forget about his tools, we forget about him, and we, we simply don't pay proper attention. Satan comes to us in the same way that I picture Ehud coming to Eglon. Remember how that went? Get his right hand out there and a friendly greeting. And he reaches around to under his right arm and pulls out his sword. Scripture says, he had put forth his left hand, excuse me, left hand, and took the dagger from his right thigh. He put out his right hand, took his left hand, pulled the dagger out from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Shaking hands with him. Uh, Satan comes to us the same way Joab, David's general, met Abner, King Saul's general. Abner knew that Joab hated him because Abner had killed his brother. Abner knew Joab's devices, but not his wiles. Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly. And he smote him under the fifth rib that he died. Let's just have a little chat over here in the corner. Oh, everything's fine. Big smile, handshake. And again, knife goes under the fifth rib and he died. This is the way that Satan works. These are some of his wiles and devices. This evening, let's consider more of Satan's wiles, his tools. The devil has a toolbox. He has a toolkit filled with instruments similar to what a carpenter might use or carry to a job. He has drills and hammers, he has saws, he has wrenches, and dozens of other things. I know that my outline is going to be simplistic. But I'm asking the Lord to make applications which are appropriate and helpful to all of us. In the devil's box of wiles, there are several wrenches of various sizes and varieties. There are adjustable wrenches. There are socket wrenches. There are pipe wrenches. There are sling wrenches. There are all kinds of wrenches. I even have a few of these, and I'm definitely not a skilled carpenter. That'll become apparent as I go on. What does Satan do with these implements of his? Well, he has all kinds of things that he could do with them, depending on the kind of uh, wrench you're talking about. Sometimes Satan uses them on the scripture that the Christian is reading or what he is hearing. He, Satan, twists the eternal word of God so that this verse isn't quite tight, shall we say. Doesn't quite fit in with all of the other scriptures. Doesn't line up with things. When Peter was writing about Paul, when he was writing about Paul's writings, 
He pointed out that unlearned and unstable Christians rest Paul's words, as they do also other scriptures, under their own destruction. 2 Peter 3.16. From whom did they get that tool to rest or twist those scriptures, those words of Paul? Well, summarily, we could say, came out of the devil's toolbox. When the devil went to Eve, he used this tool to loosen God's word just a little bit. Did God really say that? He didn't completely unscrew the thing. He didn't completely say, God lied to you. He just said, ah, let's loosen it up a little bit. Did God actually say that? Satan also uses his wrenches directly on us, on God's saints. Any one of us can get sideways. You know what that word means? We can get emotionally, intellectually, or in some other way, sideways. We are supposed to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are supposed to, we are commanded to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. But the devil comes along with his wrench around our hearts, and he twists just a little bit, sometimes so incrementally that we don't even know that we're being twisted. And all of a sudden, rather than looking into the face of Christ, we're looking at ourselves. Or we're looking at the sin of some other person. It's not where we're supposed to be focused. But that wrench has done its work. Another tool in Satan's toolbox is the hammer. Sometimes he puts it into the preacher's hand, getting that man all fired up with one particular doctrine. Doesn't matter what it is. It might be about the second coming. It might be about the doctrine of the church. It could be something social, like uh, global warming, or COVID vaccinations. It could be anything. It could be something entirely biblical, 100% biblical, or this preacher can get way off track and be into some really unbiblical ideas. It could be positive, it could be negative. Sometimes it really doesn't matter to the devil what that preacher is pounding and pounding and pounding. That overexcited preacher, with Satan's hammer in his hand, starts pounding on his current favorite theme, over and over he hits the nail on the head until that congregation gets a thorough headache when it comes to this kind of preaching. And at that point, the devil's gotten his job done. While there is a large project that needs to be finished, preaching the whole counsel of God, for example, or the evangelism of the city, that church, because of the hammer, is focused on that one thing. Good or bad, just that one thing. And that's all that they can talk about, that one thing. And where there are real problems, like those in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, they never get addressed because the preacher's pounding on this particular nail, using that hammer Satan's given to him. I know that a carpenter sometimes uses a rubber mallet. Uh, 
to encourage perhaps a perfectly cut board to get into that space where it's supposed to be. I mean, the thing's tight. Wow. Not even going to have to uh, nail it in. It's going to be so good. So he's using that, uh, that mallet, which is a, a hammer. Sometimes he might use a sledgehammer to break up things that need to be destroyed before he can move on. But upon what are hammers mostly used? I don't know about you experts, but uh, when I pick up a hammer, it's 95% of the time, it's to drive a nail into something. It's for nails. Primary purpose. Going back to that image of the hammer coming down over and over and over again, it's usually for the purpose of driving that nail into its spot, and then we move on to another nail. No rational carpenter is going to drive a nail simply to drive a nail. It's got a point to it. It has to have a purpose. Usually a nail is used to bind two items, like two boards, together, usually. And without a doubt, even within my illustration, that's, that's a good thing. Sometimes these two things need to be bound together with this nail. As I said last week, the Apostle John nailed godly living to the soon return of Christ. Christ is coming again. Live like it. Sunday I tried to nail the sinfulness of man to the judgment of God. They go together. They should be tied together. Salvation through the blood of Christ should be nailed to man's sin, God's holiness, and God's sovereignty. They belong together. So we, we tie things together. But we need to be careful to recognize when Satan is nailing inappropriate things together. For example, the Bible teaches the preservation and the perseverance of the saved soul. When we're saved, we're saved for eternity. But the devil has often tried to nail freedom to willfully sin onto the plank of eternal life in Christ. Now that you're saved, now that you're under the grace of God, you can do whatever you like and it's okay. That is an inappropriate attachment of one thing to another, a bad thing to a a very good thing. The Bible describes the length, breadth, depth of God's salvation. But Satan sometimes comes along and tries to nail earthly financial prosperity to the soul's salvation. They don't belong together. Get that nail out of there. By the way, I have several hammers which might properly be called claw hammers. I know they're ball-peen hammers and other ones, but uh, most of the hammers that I have are claw hammers. On the side of the opposite side of the hammer where the nail is driven in, there are these two hooks for taking nails out. The nail goes in one side, the nails come out the other side so to speak. Satan is even more busy these days extracting nails than driving them in. 
Yea, hath God said thou shalt surely die? Let's, let's pop that nail out. You don't need that one in there. Surely, mother, that newborn baby of yours is not as depraved as your husband, its father. It's got to be a good little baby. God is absolutely sovereign over hurricanes, over tornadoes. Uh, but he's not sovereign over kings and elections and the salvation of human souls. Let's pop that nail out. We know people, we all know people, who once believed this doctrine and that doctrine and we rejoiced in fellowship with them and they no longer believe those doctrines. Mm. Satan's come along with his claw hammer and popped that nail out. Used his hammer on them. Every toolbox has one. I should say, my toolbox has two of them. And your toolbox probably doesn't. My toolbox has two magnets in it. You heard me correctly. One of mine is literally called a cow magnet. You familiar with cow magnets? Yeah. Dairy farmers, in particular, <coughs> make their cows swallow magnets. I'm not making this up. You can ask Rachel. It's a, mine is a cylindrical, smooth, silvery magnet. It's forced down the throat of a cow. It goes into one of its four stomachs. It doesn't matter which one it ends up in. And it sits there. And particularly for dairy cattle, if they're being taken to new fields in particular, where it hasn't been grazed very much, that cow will just suck up everything that's laying on the ground, including nails including poisons, ferrous metals, etc., pieces of barbed wire, and they can get into the stomach of that cow and uh, get into the milk or into the, the system or go on through and tear up uh, the cow, uh, that sort of thing. And this magnet down there in that stomach is supposed to collect those things and they're disposed of uh, don't ask me the rest of it. I don't know. But that, this, I'm not making this up. I just don't know the whole story. <laughs> why do you have one? Uh, why do I have one? It was given to me. Okay. Uh, I've had it for 35 or 40 years. I don't remember where it came from. It's a powerful little magnet. I also have another one that's a less powerful magnet. It is stuck on the end of an orange pencil-like stick. And what do I do with them? Well, whenever I'm in a project, guaranteed, I'm going to drop that screw. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drop a nail or two where they shouldn't be dropped. How do I get them out of there? Well, sometimes I'll use my cow magnet and it'll suck it up. Sometimes I'll have to use that other one and reach down in there and extends another foot or so and grabs that screw and oh, I didn't lose that screw and I can go on and finish my job. In application, I'll just say that Satan loves attracting and catching weak brethren, pulling them out of church and away from the fellowship of their, their brethren. He will draw them with any number of things, the lusts of the flesh, 
family feuds, educational confusion, whatever. The devil loves to divide and conquer. And it's particularly easy to collect new believers who are separated from the herd, from the flock. And speaking of dividing, Satan also has a few wedges in his toolbox. There are very few things more important, practically speaking, to a church than the unity of its membership. When church members can't get along with other church members, the church is in trouble. Not that it's going to die, but it's in trouble. It was a problem in Corinth where the congregation was divided four ways from Sunday, as my old pastor used to say. There was a group that followed Apollos. He's our idol. Others said, no, we follow Cephas. We follow Peter. Others said, uh, Paul's our man. And then there was the very spiritual group that said, no, we, we, just, we just follow Jesus. And they were probably the, the most troublesome of the bunch. I don't know. Two chapters after, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, verse number 12. Two chapters later, chapter 3, Paul wrote, For while one saith, I am a Paul, and another, I am Apollos, of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Are ye not carnal? He might have added, isn't this satanic? No one would admit that, but are you not carnal? Paul doesn't tell us specifically what separated each group, but they had their own name, they had their own leader, even though the leader was not there in the congregation. Each platoon may have had their favorite Bible verses, their favorite Bible doctrines. We are pre-tribbers. We are pre-rathers. Uh, we only read from the Greek Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. We read from the Hebrew Old Testament. And we divide off over, over such things. But the point was, they were not as united as they should have been or could have been. When there are cliques and when there are factions, there will ultimately be hurt feelings. Animosity. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. At least it cannot stand very well or very long. While one says, I'm a Paul, and another, I'm a Paulus, are ye not carnal? Wedges. Satan's toolbox also has a pair of goggles. <coughs> My toolbox. When the carpenter is creating lots of dust, wood chips, metal shavings, he should wear proper eye protection. I admit to not using mine as often as I should because I wear protection all the time anyway. At least that's what I tell myself. I know that I should add another layer of protection to my eyes, but I have two excuses that I commonly use in my own head. There have been occasions when I have been so hot that my goggles have steamed up so badly that I couldn't see what I was working on. Mm. Throw them aside. And then there's the fact that my goggles are very, very old and were probably very, very cheap to begin with. 
They're all scratched and they're decayed from uh, 40 years of sitting in the toolbox and so on. Uh, again, I can't see through them very well, so I don't use them. If I can say so, these are the goggles that the devil hands us to use, this kind of goggle. They distort the truth. They twist our sight so that we're unable to see the Lord, to see the work, to see lost souls. And then when we look at other believers, our brethren appear to us to be distorted. And they really aren't. It's our eyesight that's distorted because of these goggles Satan's given to us. The devil also has an electric saw there beside his toolbox, not actually in because it's pretty big. To further show you how far from a good carpenter I am, I will just say that when I have to cut a single two by four, I have a handsaw and I'll take 15 minutes to cut that thing if I have to. <coughs> if the piece of plywood is only two feet wide, I'll get that handsaw out there. I use my circular saw so seldom that whenever I pull it out, I, do my, I say to myself, I forgot that I was going to buy a new blade for this thing. Why haven't I gotten a new blade? I am no expert, but it appears to me that among my tools, there's nothing more dangerous than a dull knife or a dull saw. I have heard that more accidents and injuries are created by dull, inefficient equipment than sharp, well-maintained equipment. And I don't have sharp, well-maintained equipment. Do you remember Paul's illustration of the church being a body? Christ is the head. You and I are members of that body. We are parts of Christ's body here in Post Falls. We are eyes and we are ears. We are arms and feet. And we're fingers. You may think my illustrations tonight are rather silly, but my intentions are serious. Satan uses his tool to cut the odd finger off the body. <coughs> Even bigger parts, if possible. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We're not ignorant of his devices. I'll close with one more. Satan's toolbox has a tape measure, a small level, and one of those adjustable squares. But not one of them is accurate. Not one of them is true. The bubble is off. The markings on the... Uh, uh, Tape measure are wrong. The devil wants us to cut things short or crooked or otherwise incorrectly. And he'll make sure that we get it wrong. We'll do it wrong. Someday I need to study the word compare more carefully than I did yesterday. It appears to be interesting. I've already used it once. I won't go back to that. Here are a couple of more verses. Romans 8.18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
Satan does not want us to compare what we possess today with what we shall be given. With the right comparison, we should become more fruitful and more ready to serve the Lord. It doesn't matter what I have right now. There is so much more coming. So Satan hands us a tape measure that misleads this comparison. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The Holy Spirit teaches us to compare spiritual things with spiritual, like our service and the Word of God. But Satan wants us to compare spiritual things with anything other than spiritual things. You could be making so much more money if you were in the business world. You would be so much happier if you weren't going to church on Sunday. You were off partying or boating or fishing, whatever. By the way, the context of 1 Corinthians 2.12, verse number 14 adds, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness under him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And then there is Paul's discussion of himself in 2 Corinthians 10. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. They're not wise. It's unwise to use faulty measuring equipment. But Satan is always there, ready to hand us some inaccurate measuring device. In speaking about the Antichrist, Paul says of his sponsor, Satan, He comes with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. That's the way he works. That's one of his wiles. The Lord's most useful craftsmen, his primary servants, are those within his churches. Satan is well aware of this. So he loves to bring his weapons and his tools to bear on those churches. To all of us, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that she may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We're not ignorant of his devices. 